Well, good evening. We continue our series through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. We're just going to look at two verses uh, from this passage, but we are going to jump around the Bible a little bit, so uh, let me encourage you to keep your, your Bibles open. Let me read these two verses. Uh, This is what Jesus said. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, the title for the sermon is Jesus and Divorce. It's obviously not a nice, a nice topic to be dealing with. But that's the wonderful thing about the scriptures is that they don't just deal with nice things. They deal with the reality of, of life in a fallen world and all the problems that we face and difficulties that we face. Just some of the context in which uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking This was a a hot topic. Divorce was a hot topic at the time, very similar to our own uh, age. Uh, There was a lot of debate amongst the the Jewish scholars and the rabbis at the time about what what you were allowed to divorce for. It was the big discussion. And it was over Deuteronomy 24 verse 1. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament. They just had what we call the Old Testament. That was their scriptures. Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found uh, some indecency in her, some translations might say a matter of indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and then carries on. The key issue was those words there, matter of indecency. What is Moses saying there? What is an indecent matter? The Hebrew is a little bit difficult. At the time of the Lord Jesus, there was uh, there were liberals and conservatives, and um, the conservatives were led by a man called Shammai, and the liberals by a man called Hillel, and uh, they argued for different different things. So this is what David Instone Brewer, who's written a whole book on on marriage and divorce. Uh, he notes, he says this, the Hillelites, those who followed Hillel, therefore concluded that the two words referred to two different grounds for divorce, indecency and a matter. So they split the, the two words. This meant one could base a divorce on an act of indecency or on a matter, which meant for them any matter. Because any matter encompassed all other grounds for divorce, this single ground could be used by anyone seeking a divorce. So we understand that it was sort of, if, if anything made him upset, if, she, if his wife burnt the toast, he could divorce her. That was literally what, uh, how it was interpreted, that anything that uh, made the husband upset was a ground for divorce. The Shammites took the two words to mean a matter of indecency, by which they understood the phrase to mean adultery. So the conservatives understood it to mean adultery. Uh, Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 24 that the grounds for 
divorce in this situation are adultery. And so uh, that's the, 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 the setting in which Jesus Christ is speaking. Very important to understand that because uh, some people absolutize this text. And we've seen that already with the Sermon on the Mount. If you absolutize things from the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to end up with problem, problems. Uh, we were just joking the other day about how Jesus sort of just says stuff and leaves it up to us to harmonize with the rest of the Bible. Uh, and you, you're going to see that with vows as well and all sorts of things that you have to harmonize with the rest of the Bible because the Bible says many other things about this topic as well, about divorce. So when Jesus speaks, uh, that's what he's, he's talking in that context. That was the debate. That's what the, the Pharisees were talking about. Uh, are you allowed to divorce for any reason? Or is Deuteronomy 24 talking about uh, adultery? The debate was over the interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24. So that was the context at that time. The context in our own time is that uh, divorce, it's very easy to divorce. Isn't that right? Um, when uh, my wife and I were newlyweds, we signed up for one of these sort of holiday timeshare things. And, um, you know, you, you sort of, I was just young and wanted to do something nice for my family. And, uh, and then I realized you're not really using it. It took me about 10 years to get out of the thing. Okay? So it's pretty much easier to get out of a marriage than to get out of your gym contract or your, your timeshare contract. Uh, that's, the, unfortunately, the world in which we, we live now in the West, uh, especially since 1979 in South Africa, the law has said it's, uh, it's called no-fault divorce. So before that, it was only on the grounds of adultery and some other uh, situations. But uh, now we have no-fault divorce. So really, you say irreconcilable differences. That's what you can say. Well, look, we, we can't reconcile, and so we're getting divorced. It's not that there has to be any grievous sin or anything like that. So what does our world think? Uh, some quotes. Oscar Wilde. The author said divorces are made in heaven. Okay. So he, he thought divorce was a good thing. Uh, Jennifer uh, Weiner. Divorce isn't such a tragedy. A tragedy is staying in an unhappy marriage. And another, another lady, Ginger Wynn, said this. I don't think it's bad to get divorced. I think it's more unhealthy to have miserable lives. We weren't put here to live miserably. We were put here to grow and learn and be happy. And uh, that's one of the common themes that you'll find in, in modern language about divorce is happiness. I'm not happy anymore with you. You don't make me happy anymore. So I'm divorcing you. And, uh, you know, this lady obviously thinks God created us simply to be happy. Um, but you know that God loves us and that's not the primary focus is for us to be happy. We don't raise our children like that. So you don't say, hey, Dad, I stole this this money from, the, the, from checkers, what should I do? Well, whatever makes you happy. Uh, you do whatever you feel like doing, as long as it makes you happy. Uh, it would be a terrible way to live, and yet uh, the world largely believes it. And yet, for all this bravado and talk about divorce and how wonderful it is and it's good for us, uh, there is still within the Western world, and the world in which we live, the idea that divorce is a terrible thing. And so even someone like Jennifer Lopez, she said, there's no pain or failure like going through a divorce. Kate Hudson says, the process of discovering with somebody that you love that you don't work is so painful. 
So why, why can't we just get rid of marriage? Uh, you know why uh, many marriages will end in divorce? I understand that in America, uh, one in two, 50% of marriages will end in divorce. The statistics for South Africa seems to be more around uh, 20% of marriages will end in divorce. Um, why, why do people just get rid of it? A lot of people say, you know, it's something that was man-made. Patriarchy invented marriage to oppress women, and we just need to move on from it. There are a lot of theories like that. We need to get rid of marriage. We need to um, sort of work on a time-sharing structure with your children. So you get together, have children, and then work on time-share with them. Uh, there are theories like this being proposed. And yet, for all of that talk, society can't seem to get rid of marriage. Uh, people still get married. People still want to get married, and they still understand there is something important about it. In fact, in every culture, there is an understanding of marriage. Why is that? Well, we can't really deal with Matthew 5 without jumping to Matthew chapter 19. So, so turn to Matthew chapter 19, because Jesus comes back to the same topic. He has uh, asked a question by the Pharisees. Matthew 19, verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Notice the echo of Deuteronomy 24, the debate that was going on at the time. Again, the context, very important. That was the hot topic in theological circles. Can, can you get divorced for any cause? The followers of Hillel were saying, Yes. Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He asks them, Haven't you read Genesis? Okay. Uh, they probably memorized Genesis totally. Um, but Jesus is being a bit sarcastic. Haven't you read Genesis? That marriage is created by God. That's why we can't get rid of it. It is part of the human psyche. God has ingrained it within humanity. God has created marriage, and notice what it says here, between a natural man and a natural woman. That is what it, uh, marriage is. Anything else is not marriage. God has created it, and that's why we can't seem to get rid of it. Verse 6, Jesus says, So there are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So a reference to Deuteronomy 24. Jesus says, says to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife... It is better not to marry. Okay, so quite interesting. Um, uh, let, me just, let me just say as well, verse 10 is quite important because there are some people that say, uh, it's called the permanency view, that they can, you can never divorce. Once you are married, there is never grounds for divorce. And actually, when these passages are actually talking about engagement, remember that Mary and Joseph were engaged, and then uh, when he thought she had... Uh, had an affair, he 
wanted to divorce her. And so the argument goes, divorce really was only allowed during engagement. But it's hard to imagine the disciples saying, well, if that's the case, who, who then can be engaged? Okay? Um, it's really, they're talking about marriage. Uh, and notice it's quite interesting, isn't it, right? That they, they realize the hardship of marriage. Marriage is going to be hard work. They say, well, if it's so difficult to get out of a marriage, you know, why should anyone get married then? Okay? So they understand that there are going to be difficulties. Uh, but notice that Jesus is the one who created marriage. He made it. But God allows divorce because of sin. Notice that's what he said. They said to him, well, why did Moses allow it? Because of sin. But the original plan of God with Adam and Eve was for there not to be divorce. But because of sin entering the world, God has allowed divorce as a mercy. The Lord says that a marriage should not be separated. He doesn't say it cannot. He said it should not be separated. That's the ideal. And the language there of separation is almost like the language of amputation. And that's why divorce is so painful. Okay. You've become one flesh with someone and then a part of you has been cut off. But God is gracious because sometimes, even in life, sometimes it's necessary to have a physical amputation. Sometimes there's a part of the body that's rotten and needs to be cut off. And that's the idea here. There are certain times when God in His grace says this is a better way to go. John Calvin says the same thing. God gave divorce as a mercy, as a kindness. Now, that might be, you know, you know, people are influenced by permanency view and all different views, but we're going to look at what the Bible says. But I think if you can see it, that God loves people, and there are certain situations because of a fallen world where uh, divorce is, is, may well be necessary. And in fact, if you're going to look down on anyone who is divorced, uh, which is a very ungodly thing to do, you're going to have to look down on God. Because God himself, in Jeremiah 3, divorces Israel. And issues a decree of divorce, a letter of divorce to Israel, because of their constant spiritual adultery. Uh, really, idolatry. And so the Lord himself uh, divorces Israel. Now, uh, so this is more topical, just to because I, you know, just on those two verses, uh, the, as I said, the Bible has more to say. So what do we see? The reasons for divorce are allowed. Well, very clearly from both passages, Matthew five, Matthew nineteen, adultery. Divorce is allowed for adultery. Okay. Again, in every situation, we're not saying yet one has to divorce, but divorce is allowed uh, on the grounds of adultery. First um, Corinthians seven, so you can jump over there. First Corinthians seven. First Corinthians seven, verse fifteen. Uh, Paul writes writes this to the to the Corinthians, and he says, "But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so." In such cases, the brother or sister is not bound. Okay, so uh, Paul paints this picture of a situation where one person in the marriage is a believer and the other person is not a believer. Okay, so uh, 
probably someone in the, in the marriage got saved and now they're living with an, with an unbeliever. And he says, you can't divorce. You can't say, well, I can't live with this unbeliever. I'm going to leave. I, those are not grounds for divorce. You cannot leave if your spouse is an unbeliever. But he does say, if the unbeliever then chooses to, to leave, that person, the person who remains, is no longer bound. And that is legal language from the Greco-Roman world at the time, meaning they are free to remarry. They are no longer bound to that person. They are free to, to remarry. Uh, so some people have asked, well, what about a situation where it's two people in the church? And uh, so we, we say this is a situation of abandonment, where a person now leaves the marriage, abandons the other, uh, their spouse. So people say, but what if it's two Christians, two people in the church, and the one abandons the other? Well, in that situation, that person would be put under discipline and excommunicated and would be an unbeliever. Uh, and then, then the other person is then free to, to remarry. I also want you to notice that Paul says a phrase here, in such cases. In such cases. And he, he says it in the plural, in such cases. So uh, what that means is, and Wayne Grudem also talks about this, is that there may be other situations, so we also take it on case by case. This is not a place to cover every single possible situation that a divorce might be allowed but simply to say that in such cases, uh, there might be other reasons, and it would also be case by case. So we've spoken about adultery, abandonment. When we go to Exodus 21, so you can jump to Exodus 21 now. Exodus 21, verse 10. This is a, a passage where theologians draw some principles from. It's not a, a one-for-one, um, because this includes sort of polygamy. But it says that if he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her conjugal rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. Uh, meaning she is free to, to remarry. And so there were three things that the husband was requir- required to do. Uh, provide food, clothing, and conjugal rights. And uh, if those were not fulfilled, then there would be grounds for, for divorce. Uh, and really those are one's covenant, covenant commitments uh, when you enter into marriage, you, you make covenants. Uh, and I would still argue for the traditional uh, covenants because I think they get to the core of what marriage is. Uh, sometimes when I do weddings, I get scared when the people say, You're going to do, we're going to do our own vows. Uh, because what I find is that they... I'm not saying you can't do it, sorry, don't worry. <laughs> don't feel bad if you did, but... Uh, uh, what I do find is that uh, while they're often beautiful, they often promise too much. I'll always make you happy. Um, all of those things. You can't promise that. You're not God. You're not able to do those things. Uh, there are certain things that Scripture calls a spouse to do, male and female. And the traditional vows in- include that. The other thing is that when people write their own vows, they talk about how they feel right now. 
So you're saying, I love you so much, you're amazing. You're talking about how you feel right now. The whole thing of, of marriage is it's a covenant that you're making a promise for the future. You're not talking about how you feel right now, it's for the future and you're making commitments to do these things. I'm going to care for you, I'm going to love you, I'm going to cherish you, I'm going to prove, uh, fulfill your conjugal rights, all of those things. I'm making a promise to do that in the future. Not based on how I feel right now on my wedding day. In the future, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Now, we understand that ordinarily this is okay. Of course, people can be sick. People can, there can be a, an economic depression where someone is not able to get a job and not able to provide. And all of those things, we understand that. I hope you understand the nuances here. But uh, certainly if someone, really this is a type of abandonment of one's spouse where you no longer care for them in any way. And so uh, we would argue that divorce is allowed in this situation. Again, we're not saying it has to happen, um, but it is allowed. And at times it may well be necessary, like an amputation. Um, and so God in his grace, remembering that we are dust, remembering that it is a fallen world, uh, has given divorce. And as I said, not to look down on those who are divorced. I've met with many divorced Christians, and often they're divorced for legitimate reasons. Their spouse was having affairs, whatever it is, it was legitimate. But they still feel guilty. They still feel unworthy. They feel as though everyone in the church is judging them. And it's, 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 it's not right. I, they may feel that. I hope that nobody in at Heritage is doing that, looking down on people. Uh, it was a legitimate divorce and, and they are loved. Now let me even say, if someone has divorced for illegitimate reasons... Or maybe they were the guilty partner. If they repent, there is forgiveness. Isn't that right? There is. That's the gospel. There is forgiveness. And we embrace them and welcome them. And we rejoice in God's grace and His forgiveness. So that's a, a fly-through. Um, but you can go and study those passages in your own time. So in thinking, well, how do I bring this to the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, because it's... Uh, as I said, it's not a, an enjoyable topic to talk about. How does a divorce point us to Christ? I think in two ways. Uh, and if you take the example of God divorcing Israel, that was supposed to be a warning to Judah. So Israel, remember, was the northern kingdom and Judah was the southern kingdom. And the Lord will refer to them as sisters. And he says, Judah, you should have seen what I did to Israel, how I divorced them because of their constant rebellion and spiritual adultery. But you have not listened. So I think when we see divorces, we need to take it as a warning and a reminder that if you continue in unrepentant sin, you will prove yourself not to be a true Christian and Christ will reject you. You are a covenant breaker and you will have no part with God's people for all eternity. And so divorce should be a severe warning to not to continue playing the harlot in that sense. Not to continue to abuse God's grace. Because divorce is a traumatic thing, a, a terrible thing. And it should be a warning to every, every child of God. A reminder, if I continue in sin, I prove myself not to be part of the bride of Christ. You will prove yourself to be a covenant breaker and the Lord will cut you off. But secondly, uh, it also can be a reminder that if you are faithful... You belong to the Lord, you are part of his elect, that he will never ever divorce you. Okay. 
he will always be faithful to his, his true bride. Uh, and so that is good news. He is not fickle like us. He is faithful. And he will keep his children. He will keep his sheep. He will keep his bride. Um, and he is beautifying her. Often doesn't feel like it. Uh, but he is. And on that day, she will be revealed in all her glory and splendor and beauty. Uh, because Christ has washed her and cleansed her. And so I think those two aspects, as we think of divorce, they remind us of, of Christ. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we do thank you for your word. And as we've mentioned, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, uh, you deal with, with difficult and painful topics. And we, we are so glad that your word does do that. It deals with us in our pain, in our suffering, in the mud and dirt of this world, in the brokenness of this world. It doesn't um, come with a, an imaginary or, or airy-fairy reality. And so we praise you for that, Lord. You, you, you meet us where we are. We thank you for your kindness and your grace. Uh, and we do thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. You will never leave nor forsake your bride. Uh, we do pray that if there are any here who, who don't, don't, know what it, don't know you, Lord Jesus, have never known your love and your grace and your forgiveness, uh, that today they would cry out to you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, if there are any who are hardening their hearts, who are persisting in a certain path, a certain way of living, that they would be warned they may well be cut off. Just calling oneself a Christian doesn't mean anything. Uh, it's whether we belong to you and seek to submit to you. And so please work by your spirit and grant repentance and grace. And Father, we, we continue to cry out to you to protect the marriages here at Heritage. Uh, be with the husbands and wives. Uh, may they grow in grace and knowledge of you and love for you and love for one another. And... Um, May they just know the, the joy of serving you and fulfilling your, your original plan for marriage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.